Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Joe, we are live. What's up, everybody? July 25th edition of the Holy Smokes podcast. Yours truly, Joe Ferraro. Give me a follow online at Showdown Joe. As always, joined every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, by the infamous, not the notorious, but the infamous <laughs> Sean Rossap. Give him a follow at Sean Rossap, who is set to go on vacation probably right after this podcast. And we'll get to that momentarily because we have so much to discuss. UFC Long Island, UFC 214, John Jones doing his thing. Frank Trigg had a chance to catch up with Frank Trigg to discuss a variety of things, including John Jones, including what happened, uh, a couple different things that happened uh, at UFC Long Island that I was paying close attention to from a judging uh, commission and referee's perspective. Uh, and no one better, uh, I mean, Big John McCarthy might be better, but Frank Trigg and Big John are fairly close. I know both the gentlemen very well. We will discuss that a little bit later on. And of course, Sean Ross Sapp will break down a bunch of stuff regarding Brock Lesnar, his thoughts on something that I could basically care less about uh yeah right see. yeah right <laughs> till you cash those checks showdown joe true very true i mean where do you, you want to go with this you want to kick things off with the long island show and chris weidman who we were scared was going to have to go to light heavyweight and instead emerges victorious yeah man he's he's so good at like dropping from a, a body lock not even a body lock in close where a lot of guys will have you pinned to them but, like, with his body extended out and drops down, then sneaks in, grabs your ankle, puts you on your back, he went with he went back to what brought him to the dance. And I can respect that, and I like that. And there is a thread over at Fightful For- at the Fightful Forums right now, um, cheap plug, but somebody <laughs> says, how do you earn title shots in the UFC? We, we basically have some people who maybe not know, they don't know how this comes about. And I say, Chris Weidman might not be that far off because timing is as important as anything as we've seen. Alexander Gustafson had a – his Alexander Gustafson's two title shots came from him pulling out of a fight, 
yep. and off of a loss. And right now, Robert Whitaker is out until 2018. Chris Weidman might get that title shot against Michael Bisping. Or, yeah, Michael Bisping. Yeah, and they're going at it on Twitter. Uh, I'm actually enjoying some of it. It's not as charismatic and or, uh, you know crazy as one would assume but they're going at each other and, and i think it's good for chris to, to, to do that uh, unfortunately nowadays if you're not talking you ain't getting business you ain't getting checks cashed uh so you got to sort of get out there and, and and draw some attention because when you do that and then with michael bisping it's very easy because chances are bisping is not going to ignore you so with bisping he's going to reply and you can reply to that reply and you can go on and on and on and you know, a variety of mma websites are going to pick it up, and it could turn into mainstream news. You never know. Uh, but I like what Chris is doing, and of course, I, I'm a huge fan of Michael Bisping because he doesn't care what he says and what he does. So um, y- you're right. He could slide in there, although I do believe that the UFC will wait, but Bisping might say, yo, I need some cash. Like, what's going on here? i got to get paid. There's always the opportunity. Like, we don't know what GSP is going to do, or more so, we don't know what the UFC is going to do with GSP because... I get the feeling if they gave him the 185 fight, he'd be like, no, 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 no. Now I need like three more months because I got to add some more muscle. Or no, 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 no. You you got to fight. If you're GSP, you want this fight in November against Bisping. And you volunteer yourself for it. And there's a good chance you walk out middleweight champion. If you're... I think George's focus, considering he had surgery uh, a month or so ago, because when I did the uh, Nintendo Switch thing with him, um, you know, we had spoke about the fact that he got surgery, so he's going to be out till September, October, no matter what. In terms of that fight with Bisping, uh, and you know, we we don't always put much value or stock into what Dana White says, but when the president says that George St. Pierre is going to get the winner of uh, you know Saturday's. Damien Maya, uh, Tyron Woodley fight, uh, and subsequently shortly thereafter makes Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker an interim title fight. I think the story and the angle is leading towards that way there. Somebody says, uh, Yoel's Twitter if uh, Weidman versus Bisping is booked. Yeah, that'll be interesting, but Yoel lost. He lost. Yep. He lost a title fight. I get it. He's trying to keep his name relevant. It's a nice fight to have down the line, but he lost. And not only that, he... He blew a he essentially it, what a lot of people think he blew a two round to none lead in doing that like that's that's like blowing a three one lead in the NBA finals like you all he had to do was win one more round according to some people but a uh, big win for Chris Weidman I broke that down on Saturday night as well Kelvin Gastelum says that he's moving back to 170 pounds. What do you think about that? Because there, there is a little bit of a difference now. He's, he said that he's moving to the UFC Sports Institute, which already seems like it's going to be a game changer because that's going to be a thing that, that aids a lot of fighters, having nutritionists on hand. Do you know if, the, if those fighters have to pay any sort of fee for that or if it's just – There's a fee. Okay. There, there's a fee. Yeah. Now, pardon the cynicism because I don't like being cynical. Um, but when Kelvin Gaslam says he wants to return to 170, you know, th- there's there's trepidation in my mind when I think, dude, <laughs> you've already had your chance on numerous occasions. You constantly missed weight. Uh, n- nobody wants to believe you. And Dana White says you're never fighting at 170 again. But when you took one look at Kelvin Gaslam opposite Chris Weidman, especially at the weigh-ins, and when these two guys, even at the pre-fight press conferences earlier on a couple months ago, there was a massive size difference. I mean, middleweights are big boys in comparison to Kelvin Gaslam, who is a big guy. I- I've met him before and interviewed him at TriStar you know, about two, three years ago. 
but Chris Weidman's a big dude. When those two guys stood next to each other, I'm like, now you realize you need to make weight. So my cynicism is sort of, um, I guess, diffused when you hear stuff that, like the fact he's going to go to the UFC Performance Institute and there'll be nutritionists there. But that really at times doesn't matter if you're not disciplined, Sean. If you're not disciplined to understand that you are a professional fighter for a specific period of time and part of your job contracted is to make weight. And technically, you only have to make that weight three times a year. Mm-hmm. Okay, I used to joke with Jake Ellenberger all the time. I'm like, how the heck do you get to 170? He's like, I don't walk around at 170. I just have to be 170 three times a year. And Mark Munoz and I used to joke about it all the time. Like, I have no idea how that guy makes it. He's like, yeah, he just does it. I have to do it just on that day, that hour, and that's it. You get back to, back to normal. So I wish Kelvin Gaslam all the best because I think he could be a force at 170 pounds. Big time. But he's got to make that weight. Yeah, he's got to make the weight, and he he will have the, the aid of the UFC Sports Institute. I'm very interested to learn more and more about that. I would love to talk to, to Elias about some of the – the benefits that they're offering and maybe some of the fees associated with if he's even allowed to, but that's going to be a big question. Uh, I'll tell you somebody who surprised me on that Long Island card, Patrick Cummins, because I've always said that the game plan to beat him is to punch him in the face, <laughs> and I thought Jean Vellante was going to beat him in that fight. I thought he was going to beat him. Not only did he get hit in the face, he got headbutted in the face. Both of them did. And they both kept on, and Patrick Cummins, 36 years old, started to train with Antonio Tarver. Getting a little bit better. We, we've seen him piece together two wins for the first time in, in a while uh, since his, his 2014 run after the, the, the Daniel Cormier fight. John Vellante is going to be one of those guys who just kind of pokes around the, the 15 spot, maybe a little bit outside of it, but Patrick Cummins impressed me. Darren Elkins also impressed me. A guy who reti- wanted to retire a few years ago after he he lost to Diaz. And he and his wife said, why can't we move across the country and and yeah. do this? And this is at 30 years old, Joe. Like, or after 30. You don't see a lot of guys that are like, I'm going to uproot my life and my family to move all the way across the country and, and do this. And he's done it and he's won five straight fights. And he's won five straight fights against some formidable opponents like uh, Bermudez and Pepe and like some some guy. Well, Pepe at the time a little more formidable than he is now. But I got to say that I'm very impressed with Darren Elkins because I would go as far as to say this is the best run of his career, uh, better than the, the the eight wins that he started his career out when he beat Pat Curran. Better than the five wins in a row that he had between 2011 2013. I think it's the best run of his career because he. He was able to get a performance bonus in that UFC 209 fight, and this is pretty late in an MMA career. To do this at 33 years old as a featherweight is very impressive. Very impressive. I mean, he's, he's being fantastic. I also liked in that fight how Dominic Cruz uh, would reiterate that no one better, there's no one better in the UFC than Darren Elkins when he grabs your back when you're standing up against the cage. That's his game plan. That's how he wins fights. He will grind you down until you make a mistake. So Darren Elkins, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm still, I feel like I'm on a high from his last fight. Uh, with Mursad Bektik. I mean, yeah. that I, I have not gotten over that because, you know, all of us are underdogs in our lives in one way or another. We've all suffered adversity and, and been able to pull out and come through and to see another to see a human being go through what Darren Elkins went through in that fight to suffer that much and just realize that, you know, 
most referees could have stopped that fight uh, and being bloodied and battered it to pull off that victory was just a sight to behold. It's an absolute inspiration when you watch a fight like that. So when I watched him in this Dennis Bermudez fight, I'm like, I, I, I'm going to still give Elkins the credit here. I know he's the underdog and I penned it in the article uh, when I wrote the Fun Bets article. I'm like, y'all need to pay attention to Darren Elkins because this dude at this point in his career is not going to go away. He needs to be finished. And if you can't finish him, he could grind out a victory. You could make the argument Dennis Bermudez could have won two rounds to one in that fight. But you could easily make the argument Darren Elkins did the same thing, and two judges agreed with that, giving him 29-28 scores. So kudos to Darren Elkins. At this stage in his life, at this stage in his career, it's going to be a challenge to get fairly high up these rankings and get a title shot, but good for him, and hopefully he continues to get paid because eventually he's going to have to walk away. But this kid continues to just put on these performances where you know, I'm sitting on my couch, Sean, just smiling ear to ear. Well, he was in that situation between 13 and 14 where he was win-loss, 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 and you know how the UFC is. If you're not finishing fights and he is not known as a finisher, then you, you run the risk of getting cut, whether you're exciting or not to some degree. So he was in a situation where he could have been cut with another loss. You, you never know, and he's a guy who will fight anywhere, Brazil, the U.S., Canada, Ireland. He doesn't care. He'll fight anywhere. But now not only has he gone on a five-fight winning streak – he could drop two or three in a row, and that's fine. He's st- at least he's gonna he's gonna clear six figures by doing those three fights. If he loses three in a row, so very impressed with him. There's something I, I, in the middle of this I wanted to address before I forgot it. Uh, you had posted the thing about uh, Conor McGregor saying that Floyd or that he's put the fear in boxing, and somebody said I think boxing is done as a mainstream sport after Mayweather retires. I disagree with that because uh, I mean. They just filled up Wembley with Anthony Joshua, Klitschko. They did one million pay-per-view buys for Canelo versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., which wasn't even competitive. Yeah. Uh, even though Mayweather-McGregor's happening, I think that Canelo Triple G does probably 1.3, 1.4, maybe 1.5. Especially de- and if, if the boxing world is hot after Mayweather-McGregor, maybe even more. So I just wanted to address that. I don't think boxing well, how, is yeah, as- That's a good point. I'll tell you this. How can it not be hot with the exception of the fight between McGregor and Mayweather being a snooze fest? The amount of eyeballs that are solely going to be fixated on boxing because you know Showtime is going to promote anything and everything that has to do with their upcoming boxing cards uh, over and over and over again. So all eyes on August 26th will be on the boxing world with the exception of the main event with McGregor the only representative for MMA. And if he has a horrible showing, that that could look bad for MMA. It could look bad for the UFC. If he puts on a solid performance or a victory, huge for the UFC, huge for MMA. But all eyes and the biggest pay-per-view of all time is going to be a boxing pay-per-view, courtesy of an MMA guy stepping in there to fight the greatest boxer of you know his generation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. Um do you see who called out Eric Anders? No. Me. If he shows oh up to my house and fights me within the next hour and makes 185 pounds, I will fight him for the right to the ya boy nickname. Good point. I saw that. I heard that on Saturday, and I was like, uh-oh. If this he makes it here hurt. by the end of the broadcast at 185 pounds, handling it. Uh, either way, he looked real good. 29-year-old... Born in the Philippines, UFC's going to like that. Uh, 
from the University of Alabama, played for the Crimson Tide, started off 9-0 and and beat Natal at that. You know, Natal isn't what he used to be. Uh, I won't try to pretend that he is. Yeah, that's important. We've got to make sure we put stock yes. into it. Yes, you're right. Yeah, but, I mean, he is a guy who has been in the UFC for seven years now. Seven years. Uh, so this isn't, like, just a gimme. But it was a fight. Because, I mean, when, when Natal lost to Robert Whitaker, it's like, okay, Robert Whitaker. At least I knew he was one of the best middleweights in the world. Tim Boach, you're like, well, you know, anybody could lose to Tim Boach. He's almost like the Jim Miller, Joe Lozon of that middleweight division where any given night anybody could lose. Eric Anders, I, I, I think it's more of a promotion of his skill than a condemnation of Natal's, even though Natal is 34 and I think he's about done. Very, very uh, happy to see an emerging guy, a new face at middleweight. That's that's welcome. Yeah, it is a division that's sort of – it's starting to feel top-heavy, uh, although I do really appreciate the fact that it is getting really, really good. Robert Whitaker has just thrust in some incredible um, – infusion into this division people are paying very close attention to him now that he's the interim champ they want to see what's going to happen with michael bisping but the guys below them yeah i i completely and then utterly agree it's 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 a division that could use a bit of new blood eric anders is one that's going to be there and and i absolutely enjoy it i think it's going to be fantastic i'm just going over my fun bets article because i could have sworn i said take him uh over uh natal oops i didn't put it in there i'm sorry ladies and gentlemen my bad uh, also, Lyman Good beaten by Dos Santos. That is a very impressive win uh, for Dos Santos because Lyman Good is, well, he's been out of the cage for a while. He's a tough out, and it's something something that I brought up on the show the other night. Lyman Good seems to have trouble in really big fights. Now, this isn't a really big fight, but he lost to Askren. He lost to Koreshkov. He lost his fight to get into the tough house, and I want to see how he bounces back from this. Um the only other fight that I didn't consider like a big fight for him that he lost was Rick Hahn, and he also lost that uh, via split decision. A couple of other interesting fights I thought. Uh, Chase Sherman, that's a, that's a guy to look out for. This was not the guy that we saw between August and January of last year. He employed those leg kicks so well. A 27-year-old heavyweight, that's good. And the thing is, I was very glad to see him win a couple in a row because... He was a 27-year-old heavyweight, who, or 26-year-old at one point, who had dropped two in a row. And you're like, man, well, that's kind of a bummer because that heavyweight division could use some new blood too. But he stepped up. He's had a couple of really good performances. The move to Jackson's has paid off for him. But the heavyweight I want to talk about, Joe, is Junior Albini because that was the saddest goddamn story I've ever heard in MMA. And maybe not the saddest, you know, but one of them. Did you mm-hmm. hear that? Did you hear about everything, about how that went down? No. Backstage, he tells reporters, uh, I got a, a per diem this week. And mm-hmm. with that per diem, I went and bought my daughter toys for the first time ever. She plays with empty shampoo bottles because I have ended up making nothing for my last nine fights. Nothing for his last nine fights. Now... I don't know if that means he wasn't paid or if just afterwards he didn't end up with anything netting positive. But keep in mind, this is a guy who went into this fight, Joe, as a 13-2 and heavyweight. Yeah. 
started off, he was like 300 and something pounds, only really did him and made to lose weight. And has, like, very good. And one of the only was Pereira, who ended up, uh, Uda Pereira, who ended up in the UFC, Timothy Johnson. And that's more awesome was that he got 50 that, uh, yeah, uh, I'm seeing a, a red, like, apparently our stream died a little bit, but it'll come back on and we'll, yeah, it's back on now. And now we're going to have sync issues with our faces and our audio, which will drive Jimmy, <laughs> which will drive Jimmy nuts, but oh well. But yeah, $50,000 on top of his, at, at minimum, 10 to show, 10 to win. That's $70,000. Now, of course, he's going to have taxes and stuff taken taxes, out of that, yeah. but he said he's never had more than $100 in his life. Yeah. Hey, man, that's it's a story of a lot of fighters, boxers, especially back in the day as well. They come from nothing. And this is their only avenue to generate revenue to their name. Uh, it is it sucks. It's horrible. But sometimes people live in certain parts of the world where it's just not that easy to find a job or to, or to apply a trade. And fighting is their way out. Fighting is what puts bread on the table for their family. Fighting is what will prevent their daughters from playing with empty shampoo bottles and can buy them toys. They're willing, as a parent, I know what it's like to, you know, to have a plate of food. And my son's like, can I have that, Dad? Yep, I'll gladly give everything. My dad used to do it to me. You can have all the food off my plate as long as you're full. You know, I, I, I've gone into to weird sorts of debt for my kid. You know, like, that. I shouldn't be buying that, but that's going to make him happy for a long I time. I look forward to you and Jimmy going into debt Thursday at Rogers Center to buy me – to. To give me all the finest meats and cheeses in all the land from Toronto. I'm going to conveniently leave my wallet at home. Why didn't you tell me that Canadian because money – Jimmy Van will take care of it. Why didn't you tell me Canadian money smelled like maple syrup? Because it's fantastic and beautiful. The money, the cash in Canada <laughs> is – I got some money. One of my friends' fiance lives in uh, Toronto, and yeah. she basically traded me cash for cash. Uh and I'm, I'm blown away with how badass your all's money is. Well, I tell people – so first of all, we get mocked. Oh, it looks like Monopoly money. And we just look at people look at people going, yeah, OK, it looks like Monopoly money. A friend of mine, it's Amanda, not- said that too. She's like, you're going to make fun of our Monopoly money. I'm like, no, it's it's incredible. Yeah. So the good thing is, is our money is colored. Our money is colored. So that when I go down to the States, when I come to your beautiful abode and I get a bunch of cash given to me, I'm like, I can't tell if it's ones, tens, twenties, fives, because I've got to literally look at the number. Here, we're so used to just knowing the color. You can just pull out a wad of cash and just by the look of it, in two seconds, know exactly how much money is in your hand because it's color-coded and the math gets done uh, in the brain via colors. When I go down to the States, I'm like, uh, oh, that's a 20. Oh, that's a Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So I got 140 bucks in my hand. Okay. All right. You know, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, that's, uh, that's our money. I don't know if it smells like maple syrup, but okay. So... uh Another thing I like about Albini, 26-year-old heavyweight. We're starting to and see. I tried telling people, take him, take him. In the article, yep. I specifically said, take him. He's a plus 445 TKO. Well, a plus 445? Are you kidding me? To get the TKO? If you te- ha- I don't care if it's Junior Albini against Junior Dos Santos, and he's plus 445 for a KO. You take him. Just well, why not? It's heavyweight that's- MMA. But that's why I write the fun bets articles, ladies and gentlemen, especially those on the chat right now. I will go through a variety of sites and say, hold on a second. You're giving me Junior Albini to knock out or TKO Timothy Johnson at plus 45. And then all the other different fun bets that I have there. I tell people all the time, if you know what Dutching is, 
If you can dutch those bets, you just need one to come in, yeah. and you'll make a bit of money. You make you get a second one to come in, you got some butter on your bread. Yeah, we're gonna start talking odds every week uh, to promote those because w- what a deal! What a deal! Uh, also, Marlon Vera defeated Brian Kelleher. Good to see Vera back in the cage, getting a win. I know he's had some some family issues as well. And uh, Jimmy Rivera, who won on this show as well, looking very good, ready for them to strap the rocket ship to him. I, I want to see him and Cruz. I don't know why. What's Cruz doing? What's he doing? I know yeah. he's a fantastic announcer, but what's he doing? Nada. Get in the cage, Nada. Dominic. Get yep. in the cage. I'm ready to see it because Brian Caraway ain't going to fight him. Brian Caraway may never fight again. You think Brian Caraway ever fights again? I don't know what his deal is. I'm I'm completely baffled at the fact that he's not competing. I don't know if he's injured or whatnot, but ever since the missus uh, called it a career, it's almost like he called it a career beforehand, right? It's like, dude, like, what are you doing? You got to fight. Like, you're a professional fighter. Do you have coin that we don't know that you've got coming in? If that's the case, call it a career. See ya. Anthony Johnson did it. Now, not not to be a gossip, but is the missus still the missus? Yes, I've gotten some intel that could challenge that, but I'm just, just being politically correct. I mean, heard they may not be a thing anymore. And Brian Caraway, I mean, is there a guy? How is, I wouldn't rank him top six anymore. A top six guy doesn't pull out of a half a dozen fights and then turn down a half a dozen fights, which right. he has done both of. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. So there's 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 gotta be some sort of issues out there that we don't know about, but he should be competing. He should be competing or he should be taken off the rankings. I mean, when's the last time he fought? It's almost been two May. years, hasn't it? May of oh, two thousand sixteen. Yeah. So it's been an it's been And over before a year. that, before that, July of two thousand fifteen. Before that, two thousand fourteen. Uh, Joe, in the last four years, over four years, since May of 2013, he has fought four times. Yeah. Right. That's, that's so. inexcusable. Get him out of there. Get him out of there. Um, Alex Oliveira won. TKO'd Ryan LaFlair. And it's funny because we said that this, or Patrick, the Patrick Cummins fight, it would be a tale of two fights. The Cummins-Volante fight didn't play out the way I thought it would. This one played out both ways that I thought it would because we saw the smothering wrestling of Ryan LaFlair and then Alex Oliveira just snuck in there with that picture-perfect uppercut. <clears throat> Plus uh, was- 418, according to the FunBets article. If you'd have put some money down on that, you'd have made some hey. good money this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. Good money. Yeah, then he jumped outside of the cage. Uh, you talked to our boy Frank Trigg about that. And about a couple of other situations on this show. So with a new intro, it is Frankly Speaking with Frank Trigg. The moment Cowboy Oliveira defeated Ryan LaFlair and obviously was celebrating, he jumped the cage. I don't think he knows that his namesake, Charles Oliveira, was suspended 60 days by the New York State Athletic Commission uh, for doing the exact same thing. Uh, and uh, Cowboy actually put his hands on an inspector, a female inspector. Uh, I don't know if he was apologizing, uh, but then Alex Davis came in and says, dude, I don't think you can touch her, man. That's a, that's a commissioner or an inspector. So what do you make of this whole situation? Well, if New York is smart, 
which I, which they are, they, they've had some hiccups in their, in their past and they're trying to fix all the hiccups. They're, they're a new commission. Let's not forget. They do have Madison Square Garden. They're having a lot of shows at Madison Square Garden, both UFC and Bellator, but they're still a relatively new commission trying to play catch up. They are going to have some hiccups. One of the things that they are going to be is consistent in their, in their findings and their penalties. They're going to be consistent. So I feel like he's going to get a 60 day suspension, but let's be honest. What's a 60 day suspension really do? It's six. You're not going to fight for six days anyway. So it puts you on suspension for six days. You can't take a last-minute fight within that time, which Oliver probably wouldn't anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But it does go to the credibility of the commission. It does go to the credibility of the fighters having to follow commission rules. The one hiccup we have to find out is, was he get, <clears throat> excuse me, what's he going to get hit for touching the female inspector? That's the big question. We're not sure what, that, what that's going to happen because we don't know what it was. There's also intent. We always have to talk about intent. Did he intend to jump out of the cage? Yeah, the commissioner, his inspector was grabbing him off the cage, not letting him get out. He gets back in the cage. They kind of, yes, there's a language barrier. I get it. But he still jumps back up again and gets out and, and runs off. Runs back in again. Then jumps back up on the cage. It's like, so he's been told four or five, six times, don't jump on the cage. So there's intent. He means to get out of the cage. He means to jump on the cage. You've got to give him a suspension. Okay. Or, or if that's what your commission does, which in New York's case, they've done in the past, they should do it again. Now, we don't know what his intent was with the, with the, the female inspector. Was he apologetic because she thought, you know, it was a doctor coming up to check him? Did he not know what was happening? It looked like to me like he was trying to apologize for touching her. Like he was like, he was like super apologetic. It's intent. I think that it was, there was no intent there. I think that system gets swept beneath the rug, but I do think he's going to get a, get a 60 day suspension, which means New York is just following suit as they should. I mean, they really should. It really, what does it, it doesn't really do anything. It really doesn't, you know, the fine is what's going to hurt the most. Whatever they find him with, I mean, it could be whatever. I don't know what the fine was last time. But usually, with suspension, you get a little bit of a fine, twenty-five hundred bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. It doesn't really matter. I mean, none of it really matters at the end of the day. It's, it, but it's just, it is just another way of going. You're an athlete. You got to follow all the rules, whether you like to or not. Big John McCarthy stops the fight uh, momentarily between Patrick Cummins and John Volante, and it was. Uh, I don't know if I heard any boos, but he got lots of love for doing that. It was a headbutt I didn't even see take place. Obviously, John's in there. Um, what did you make of that whole situation? John's the best. We know that. Uh, but what did you make of that whole situation? Can you expand on the rule when there is a headbutt, uh, whether it's in the first, second, or third round? Okay, so halfway right through, through the fight. So it's, the, it's a five-rounder. It's uh, past the, the um, second, second, middle way of the second round. You, know, you have to get into that before you can go to the scorecards. Same thing uh, on the oh, excuse me on the uh, uh, you get to start the third round to get into to get into the scorecards and round and a half uh, halfway through the second round before you go to the scorecards on a three round fight but you go to the scorecards if it's before that it's it's what is the back to intent again was the headbutt intentional did it happen accidentally next down in no contest because usually you have to stop because the cut that's the problem so there's this thing that and 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 I'm actually learning it and John's been on me about it for for quite a bit headbutts is one of them. Uh, understanding the positioning of the fighters, they're going to be clashing their heads. A lot of guys, when they, they punch, they come head first. That's going to cause a headbutt. You have to know this about your about your athletes as a referee. Um, the other thing is being able to to stop the fight in such a way that that, that you only got to let two people know that what's actually happening, right? Well, three people know it's actually happening. Why are some in the fight? The head table needs to know, and the two fighters need to know. Why are you, why are you calling time in the fight? And then what, what's going to happen immediately after? Those are the two things you kind of have to figure out right away. So <clears throat> with John, the two fighters knew what happened because he was like headbutt. Like you could hear it on the mic. So headbutt, guys, let's just take a second, take a look at it. Head table kind of was a little bit confused because it was such good action going on. John also wanted to get it going back, going again really quickly. But then right before the fight starts off again, he runs over the head table and goes, hey, headbutt. Everybody kind of got it. They saw that, you know, in the big shows, 
you see up on the jumbotron, it replays and replays. You're like, oh, it's a headbutt. Like everyone in the arena knows it. We at home are watching it. We know it because we see it 1,500 times. But the head table is sitting there. They don't have time. Jumbotron's usually right above their head. They can't see it. The judges and the inspectors and everyone around around K-Side can't really see what's going on because they don't. They can't look at the jumbotron. They've got to look at the fight. So you have to kind of let them know, hey, sorry, this is what happened. This is why I'm calling time. Mouthpiece is out. I'm calling time groin shot. I'm calling time headbutt. Whatever it is, okay, we're good. Let's get back to it. Let's keep going. And uh, uh, so, of course, you know, if you want to follow protocol, John's protocol is always the best. There, there is – he never flaws. He never makes a mistake. So if you as a, as a aspiring referee want to see what to do in that situation, you have to follow John. But there is – even though John, as good as he is, it's still like we're like, well, hold, hold on. Oh, it's a headbutt. We get it. And then you want, I'm waiting because I'm at home. I'm watching. When, when's the head table figured out? And the head table you know, kind of stood up and leaned in. And John is very casually. It's very quick. And everyone's on the same page. Oh, headbutt or accidental headbutt. It was accidental headbutt. That's it. So I need to know. Now the intent on the headbutt is accidental. And so if it goes to scorecards later, we're fine. There's no points taken away. If it's intentional, then it's like, okay, now I got to start taking points away. And obviously John didn't do that. It becomes the intent perfect. We will also hear from Frank Trigg later in the show in regards to uh, Jones and DC. But yeah, overall, I thought that the UFC Long Island show was was solid. But it's always good to have his perspective on situations like that. He's such a versatile personality in that he can bring you that, bring you a, an expertise based on whether it's as a journalist, because he's, he's done that as well, whether it's as a broadcaster, he's done that as well, uh, referee, a fighter, like he's, he's been through it all. Yep, he knows his stuff, man. He knows his stuff. He's, listen. I've known Frank for a long time, and you know, whenever he comes up here, we can sit down and just shoot the breeze about hockey, baseball, basketball, football, uh, economics. I mean, what it's like to you know in Japan. I mean, the guy's a world traveler. Uh, made some crazy decisions in life. Now he's in Hawaii with his beautiful girl Jill, and, and they're they're having a fantastic time out there. So, um, you know, Frank, Frank's doing his thing, and he's just you know now he's into stunt work. So he's, he's in the Hollywood scene. So. He's rocking and rolling, man. Frank, Frank's the you know he's a good dude, and people like him, people love him, people hate him. What can you do? But it, uh, he's a smart dude. I'm enjoying some of the stuff here on the chat, by the way. Uh, for those of you that are tuned in right now, by all means, check out our chat on the top right of your screen uh, of the YouTube page. Uh, lots of stuff being discussed there. In the beginning, someone had mentioned, are we ever going to see Nate Diaz compete again, or is he going to boxing? Well, he's not going to boxing because the UFC yeah. owns his rights. Uh, unless the UFC can make boatloads of money, uh, he, Nate Diaz ain't going to boxing, in my opinion. Uh, they chose to let McGregor go to boxing because they saw massive amounts of dollar signs uh as to what he can do but you know nate diaz nick diaz uh believe me you're, you're preaching to the choir i would love to see both these guys come back to the octagon and compete but apparently financially speaking i think they're okay and or they're still okay so we're not going to see them anytime soon it's when there's a financial motivation uh that'll definitely trigger someone to say yay or nay so we'll see what happens with that apparently you're saying nay to this brock lesnar stuff I could care less about Brock Lesnar, Sean. I'll be honest with you. You could or you couldn't care less. Because I don't care. If you, if you could care less, that means that your level of caring is somewhere above the minimum. Therefore, you do care somewhat. And I get the feeling that you do. I sincerely don't. Because after what happened with that Mark Hunt fight, it finally happened. He finally got caught. Quote, unquote, finally As got caught. didn't work. Cut the guy a break. All right. You can say it that way if you like. 
but he got caught. And yes. it became official in my eyes. I always give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I will trust you when you say you haven't taken anything. I will believe you. But if you get caught, I used you've to. been lying. I used to, Joe. I used to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Now I give nobody the benefit of the doubt. And he was one of those guys that you always heard, he's just a genetic freak. He is the exception to the rule. No, I mean, I I never gave him the benefit of the doubt before. He got caught with some shit way, way back when, before WWE. So, uh, he didn't pop a test. He got, I think, arrested. But the situation is, Brock Lesnar is the current WWE Universal Champion. He is main eventing SummerSlam against three hosses. Three badass hosses. It's going to be a great <laughs> match. Uh his contract is up after April. Not that that matters when he wants to fight in the UFC because he can do whatever he wants. He can. He has a UFC contract, so he can't just jump over to Bellator. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to jump in the USADA pool at all. He could fight Fedor in September or November if he wanted to otherwise. But the situation is, and I explained it on last week's list in your boy, he had a one-year suspension from USADA. And... He retired, quote-unquote, that way he didn't have to disclose his whereabouts to USADA because that can be a pain in the ass. As Elias has said, they climbed his fire escape to test him one time. <laughs> so, like, I wonder if they're out there dressed up as elk or something in Minnesota or Canada trying to sneak onto Brock's property unnoticed to test him. Uh, Jeff Davitsky said that Brock Lesnar is not in the UFC uh, USADA testing pool. I have been told that he intends to do so. Uh, that was the information that I was given. Kind of misworded it last week. And uh, a lot of people are like, oh, maybe Nowitzki's covering. I'm like, N you don't know him then. You don't know what – he ain't no. – Nowitzki's not there to be a UFC PR guy. He's not a bullshitter. They got him because he's not a bullshitter. That was the whole thing. And he says, well, Brock has five months of a suspension still to serve. A lot of people – also bring up, well, they waived the, the thing last year for him. They can do it again. No, they can't. And there was a reason they did it last year. They couldn't hold Brock Lesnar up to that four-month testing policy because he never contractually agreed to it beforehand. He was not under UFC contract when all that was implemented. Just like if Chuck Liddell were to take a fight tomorrow or hoist Gracie in the UFC tomorrow, they couldn't be held to it because they'd signed afterwards. However, if Uriah Faber or Misha Tate came out of retirement, they would have to wait the four months because they have agreed to the USADA standards uh, since they've been implemented. Uh, Brendan Schaub, even. Even though he hasn't fought since before then, he submitted paperwork saying that he understood the lay of the land and understood all that stuff and subsequently retired because of that and doesn't have to disclose uh, his whereabouts. Lesnar, though, if he gets back in that USADA pool before WrestleMania, it, it's, it's a negotiation ploy. That's what it is. It's the type of thing that will make Vince McMahon say, God damn it, pal, what's he doing in Las Vegas? We better give him some more money. Type of thing. And rightfully so, because at 40 years old, if they put Brock Lesnar against somebody, he, you never know what will happen. You know that he'll probably sell a million pay-per-views, but it's a negotiation ploy and a good one. He's a very, very smart man. I'll give him that. Brock's a very intelligent man, good businessman, and has good people around him that help him make those decisions, uh, although he does have the final say. Uh, I just, I've lost so much trust in Brock Lesnar uh, that I could, I, I really don't care to see him compete, but of course I will watch. I've got no choice. 
but I don't want to see him come back. I've had friends hit me up on on on, on uh, WhatsApp and just texting me saying, "Oh, is Brock coming back? Is Brock coming back?" I'm like, "This guy resonates with people. These are also wrestling peeps, by the way. They they enjoy wrestling." Um, so they're wrestling peeps and they would love to see him compete and they're asking, what do you think? What do you think? And I said, I don't want to see him come back. I could care less. But like you said, Sean, if the guy sells a million pay-per-views, a lot of people are still intrigued to see him fight. Sometimes there are names out there that just don't get stale, don't get old, no matter how much of a, how much I'm in that MMA bubble and other people are not. They're on the outside looking in. They want to see him compete. I could care less. I mean, you guys in the live chat, do you guys want to see him come back? Do you want him to – do you want to see Brock Lesnar compete again? Could you care less? Are you on the SAP side? Are you on the showdown side? I mean, that, that's what that's what we're going to try to figure out here. I always said that I thought that the perfect opponent for Brock Lesnar was Stefan Struve because of the way it could be spun by WWE. They could always say he lost to a top 10 7-foot monster, and you know, 7-footers yeah, are yeah. a premium in WWE. But it's a safe fight for Brock because Stefan Struve doesn't use his reach very well. And it's a guy that Brock can get his hips underneath very easily to take down. So I think that would be a good one. Uh, because I think Arlovsky or Brown probably beat him. Maybe. I don't actually. I don't know. They Travis were, Brown? Travis Brown has a, has a nice way of losing to everybody. Because a punch that sent Heath Herring rolling backwards is the kind of punch that will get Travis Brown going... <laughs> doing the zombie walk uh, yeah. neither one of those guys should be in the top 15 by the way but yeah I think it's a negotiation tactic but it's not just a negotiation tactic because he might just want to fight he likes to do that but he's done this before like in 2005 before he signed his deal as his contract was running out Joe he started training camp and went and got yes. all of his buddies and flew them out to to BFE and started to train and then got ESPN to run his his decision. It's like the mini decision from LeBron. And then he's like, I'm re-signing with WWE. My MMA career is over. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it? Because the UFC like started to wave that flag. Hey, Brock, come here. We need you. They're shooting up flares in the air. Like, we, we need somebody. Connor, Connor's not fighting on this show. Help. Help. <laughs> Help. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, so if you want me to agree right. to a Brock Lesnar returning to the UFC and competing against someone, uh, d- did we ever get that Junior Dos Santos fight? Nope, we didn't. I would like to see that. I, I would like to see that a lot more than I'd like to see Nganu fight Junior Dos Santos because I don't want to see Cain Velasquez fighting Stipe Miocic. Because, and our boy, Nikita Krylov fan, Corey Cropper, said... Well, the UFC might as well schedule an interim title fight after that, just just in case Velazquez wins. Touche, right? Yeah. Touche. But right now, uh, Steve Miocic is locked into a contract dispute with the UFC. And, and rightfully so, because he said that in each of his title defenses, his opponent got paid more than him. And I, I agree. It, it's yeah. admirable that he's a firefighter full-time. He shouldn't have to be. 100%. He's the heavyweight champion of the world, technically the baddest man on the planet, but the devil's advocate argument on that is, dude, you signed the contract. So you signed that contract, you know, but I think in good faith, the UFC could could lay down a whole whack of incentives every time he competes. Um, you, you, you technically want to keep your heavyweight champion in the world as happy as possible. 
You know, if you could, you know, technically, if, if, if the UFC was to give him more money to the point where he could leave that firefighting gig uh, in exchange for, we'll give you more money, but all we ask of you is that you promote yourself more. Uh, you go on this talk show, you go on that talk show, you do this, you do that, and blah, blah, so we can raise your public profile. I, I mean, he's, he would have he's, any issues with that. He's not just the heavyweight champion. He's the heavyweight champion that finished five. The Listen to this. Mark Hunt, Andre Arlovsky, Fabricio Verdum, Alistair Overeem, Junior Dos Santos. That is unreal, that slate. That is unreal. That That is, like, you, you can't, you just can't argue with it. And not only that, he did it in performance of the night or fight of the nights almost across the board. His one loss in, in recent memory was a fight of the night against Junior Dos Santos. You gotta take care of that guy. And that could have went the other way, too. Yeah. Now, he's making six figures, but, I mean, he's the heavyweight champ. Come on now. Pay the man. Seven figures or eight figures is far more uh, what a champion of the world should be getting, in my opinion. Um, I'd like to see Brock fight Alistair Overeem. I'd like to see that rematch. I wouldn't. No? Overeem would whip his ass so bad. And I'll I'll reiterate, I would like to see Alistair Overeem take on Brock (laughs) Lesnar. Don't be a mark. Don't no, I'm be kidding. a mark. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I know Alistair would take that fight in a heartbeat. Oh, I'm sure that's he would. Money. Why wouldn't that's he? money. Yeah, uh, whoop his ass and take and get some money. Brock would like it as well because he wants that rematch. I mentioned right? the I mentioned the Cain Velasquez thing. Now Habib Nurmagomedov said he was offered a fight in October, presumably Tony Ferguson for the interim title. He wants to wait until November. I, I hate it. I hate it. I mean, I think a nine ten week camp is enough. After what he was offered, and you know what he, he's we will, he's trying to wait for MSG, but the thing is, nobody knows if they're actually going to fight at MSG yet. No, they haven't announced it. They're waiting on things to announce it, and Habib is just like, ah, uh, no, uh, I don't know. To me, you got to get in there and fight, man. You fought twice since two thousand, since like the last three and a half years. You gotta get in there, and you gotta make. I think Nurmagomedov versus Ferguson is a pay-per-view headliner. Is it one that casuals are gonna buy? Probably not. But to me, it's one of those shows that the, at least the media will be buzzing about. When a certain Conor McGregor and a certain John Kavanaugh and a certain management staff of said duo mention your name. Habib Nurmagomedov as a potential return to the octagon opponent for Conor McGregor. You wait till November, or December. Why? Well, re- I mean, Conor ain't fighting Ferguson. in November. Conor ain't fighting in November. His goal is to return in December. Sure. If you're Habib Nurmagomedov, you wait till December, because not only can you get paid massive amounts of money to fight Conor McGregor in the main event of a UFC pay per view. But if you defeat him, your stock value goes through the roof. Yeah, but he didn't say he was going to wait till December. He said he wanted to fight for the interim title in MSG in November. That's what he said. Fair enough. But when those two gentlemen or three gentlemen mention your name, and I'm his manager, I'm Habib's manager, I'm like, hey, UFC, what's going on here? What are we doing? Because I want that Connor fight. I love Tony. I can beat my client, can beat Tony. We'll whoop his ass and blah, 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 blah. But is Connor coming back in December? Because I'm not having my client fight in November 
and then not be available in December when Connor wants to fight. Because Connor wants to make the yeah. Forbes top 100, top 50 list under 40, whatever it is, top 40 under 40, whatever it is. So I'm thinking if if Habib is, is coming back, um, sorry, if Habib's going to come back, it's going to be for one of two reasons. When is Connor McGregor? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming back, that is the big play on the on the chessboard. Yeah, that's the negotiating play. If Connor's not coming back until February or March, then it might you know then then, then Habib will go in there and probably just bang out bang it off with Ferguson. He, he's confident he can defeat him. Although Ferguson says he's he's still got to get through uh, uh, you know buffet of tiramisu, but we'll see what happens with that. And that's I mean that's a fight that we all want to see, but for the sake of Nurmagomedov and his career, it's the McGregor fight that's important. Yeah. Uh, cheap plug, guys. We're going to have live Broner versus Garcia coverage while we have UFC 214 coverage this weekend. Uh, Carlos Toro, Fightful lead boxing writer, will be live at the Barclays Center. Check out his boxing newsletter every Thursday. That is a game changer. I always say, even if you're like a little bit interesting and interested in boxing, maybe you want to catch up ahead of this Mayweather fight. It's a primer. Every single week, it's a primer and just stuff to, to take in. And you got this uh, World Boxing Series tournament coming up. You've got Triple G Canelo. You're probably going to get another Pacquiao Horn fight. You're probably going to get another Joshua Klitschko fight, which I'm stoked for. Uh, maybe Parker versus Wilder. Uh, and, of course, Mayweather McGregor. There are a lot of really fun boxing fights on the horizon. I think this has been the best year in boxing in a long, long time. And, like, not just big boxing fights, but exciting boxing fights. Like, that's, that's been very helpful as well. Joe, we're going to get into UFC 214, but you spoke to our dude Frank Trigg about that as well. It's time for part two of Frankly Speaking. Uh, during the broadcast, they interviewed both Daniel Cormier and John Jones getting ready for UFC 214. And um, you've known me long enough. When I see those interviews, I'm, I'm not paying attention as much to the answers as I am the psychology and the body language. And John Jones was just, I mean, there was no ace up his sleeve. There was no poker face. At the end of that interview, he got up and left. Um, I thought to myself, is this an Oscar-nominated performance? Or is this John just can't deal with this emotions right now? Okay, so you have to make the assumption that these guys are not actors, they're fighters. So you have to make the assumption that what they're doing, and of course there's the Diaz brothers that are great in person and talk a lot of trash and got to hate you when they fight you. So you, you get there's that, that dynamic. But really, you see, if you go back and look at the original uh, interviews from the first fight, Daniel Cormier was really angst. 
he was really emotional with every interview and how much he hated him. And, and you know, even the open mic thing at the end when they thought the, the camera stopped rolling and they were still like, you could hear it in Daniel's voice. Like he was really upset with John. He just, he really does not like him. And John's confidence was at a whole time high back then. So he, he was like, whatever, he's just playing a game with him. Now the role's reversed. Daniel has let all that angst and anger go away. He, he's, he's not emotional about it at all. He's like, I respect him. You heard it in the, in the thing. I respect him as a competitor. Um, he's just not a very nice person. We're never going to be friends. We're probably never going to be in the same room together, which is totally fine. I mean, it, it happens between competitors. It's how it goes. And maybe in 10 years from now, they'll be like Matt Hughes and I. We're, we're totally fine in the same room. Actually can talk. And, and we're, we're okay when the kids are running around. It's not a big deal. But we're 10 years removed from the whole mess. Maybe they'll be like that, too, when they get removed from the whole mess. Right now, they're just they're mad. They're, they're, they don't like each other. That's fine. But John's emotions were all over the map in that thing. Very confident in the very beginning kind of taken back that, that Daniel kind of talked to him that way about halfway through to the point of like, screw this, I can't be here anymore, I gotta leave. And you can see the emotions. Is that gonna be good for John? Does John does John do well fighting for emotions? Now, I will say this. With John's uh all of his recent runners of the law, his cocaine uh, uh after the first one, his cocaine um fit path failure after now now he's clean, um the alcohol and like all that stuff, all those are, are emotional deadening drugs. And uh, banging his car up and doing all that stuff, he's, it kind of comes from, like, not really having any kind of emotion. Like, if you were sympathetic that you hit somebody, else, somebody else's car, you don't run away. You stay put. So his mindset back in the day was, like, his emotions were, were suppressed. Now his emotions are at the service. We're finally seeing the real John Jones. You notice now he's swearing in all of his, in all of his broadcasts. He, he, he is speaking the truth in all of his broadcasts. Like, this is the real John Jones we're seeing now. Will that help him or hurt him during the fight? We don't know because this is the first time we've ever seen it. What's actually going to happen in the fight? Is the emotion going to help him? Or is the emotion going to hurt him? We don't know. We have to wait until we see the fight. This fight now has become, for me, like a Mayweather-McGregor uh, fight, where I'm not really interested in the outcome anymore. I really don't care about, about who wins. I actually care about now what happens. I want to see what happens with Cormier. Can he overcome the adversity and training too hard for the first one and falling apart? Can... Jones come back from all of his drug habits and all of his issues and all the law problems and prove to the rest of the world that, hey, I was the greatest in, in the world at one time, got stripped, and I'm still the greatest in the, in the world right now, but you have to watch and see what happens. Like, and so when I'm watching to see what happens, I could care less. The one thing I want to talk about, Joe, before we get out of here, did you see the pay-per-view numbers? No, I didn't. Uh, Dave Meltzer just reported, and I, I trust his numbers, 130,000 pay-per-view dollars. That's the lowest in it's the lowest in forever. I mean, since Zufa took over, as as far as I can oh, tell. Oh my goodness. Now, mind you, Meltzer's usually plus or minus ten percent. But he's not talking two million pay-per-view buys, plus or minus. He's talking 130 pay hundred thirty thousand pay-per-view buys, plus or minus ten percent. That is I mean, that's the worst that I could ever imagine. I mean I don't know what that's what that says for the uh, uh, going on for the rest of the cards and what's going to happen, but I got to think we talked about this before, like four or five years ago. Saturation of the market. I think it's over, I think it's overflow. All the free oh, there's shows. There's a lot. There's a lot that you could look at and realize. Uh-uh, this is eventually going to happen, but okay. And or here's the one caveat that I'm that I'm looking at. Everyone's so hyped up on this McGregor Mayweather fight, they're not paying attention to anything else right now. All they're worrying about is August 26th. They're not thinking about any other fight coming up. They're not thinking about any. They're putting all their money in that basket because they did come out right away before before they said anything. Pay-per-view price will be double what it normally is. It's going to be double. So everyone's going, I can only afford one pay-per-view a month. 
you know, or me and my buddies, we rotate houses, can only afford one pay-per-view a month. Now we have to save up for two, so there's two months we're not buying because we have to save up for that big one in August. Like, well, it, now all of a sudden, did they shoot themselves in the foot? Did, are they hurting themselves now? We'll find out we're 214 next week. What's the number on that? Because in the same month, we're going to, you know, we're going to figure out if, it, if it's, uh, if it's going to hurt or not, you know, hurt the, hurt the buy at the end of the month. But we'll see, man. It's, it's tough. Yeah, no doubt. What's going on with you before we say goodbye? Not much. Normal. A lot of fishing yesterday, a little bit of sailing. Uh, <clears throat> caught a 160 pound ahi. Got about 10 pounds of it in my refrigerator. We had to split it up between a bunch of folks. So. <laughs> and if you don't realize how much bone, bone weighs, like you get that, you get all that meat cut out of there. You're like, oh, it's going to have like a, you know, it'll be like a, you know, 120 pounds of meat. You're like, nah, man, it's not that much. There's a lot of bone in that thing. So a lot of guts. But yeah, other than that, it was good. No, nothing major coming up. Still so, you know, working on a few things, but nothing signed. UFC 214, Joe. What a card. It's the card everyone is talking about, basically all putting up their hands in the air saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is the one we'll be waiting for. It is stacked. I mean, just look at this card. I mean, with all due respect, Sean, how many times have you and I talked about it? But this is, in essence, what every UFC pay-per-view card should look like. Yes. It's stacked. It's stacked from top to bottom. It's got big names. It's got names that are on the cusp. It's got names that we should learn about. And it's got pretty good content for, for UFC Fight Pass. It's got fantastic stuff for the preliminary card on FXX. It's funny how I mentioned that because on, on, after I was done with Trig uh, for the interview, we talked about, Frank, you know, we're, we're hockey fans. We're, we're NFL fans. We're, we're Major League Baseball fans. We're soccer fans. We're, we're whatever type of sport fans you are. But I said, you know, using the Canadian hockey analogy, imagine being told the first period of the hockey game will be on NHL Pass. The second period of the hockey game will be on FXX and the third period of the hockey game will be on Fox. <laughs> like how are fans going to follow it? But then again, the UFC is a six, six hour and 40 minute average show. The hockey's three hours. So yeah. it, it, it's kind of weird. It's difficult. You, you, you told me an example a while ago where at one point it was virtually impossible to find UFC content on, t- on television. Not necessarily impossible, but I mean, it's been on like Ion and FX and FFX, FXX and FS1, FS2, Fox, Spike, Facebook, YouTube, Fight Pass. Like that's off the top of my head 10 places that, that, that they've had UFC fights over the last several years. If you're tuning into WWE, you know USA Network. It used to be on Sci-Fi occasionally, but WWE is on USA. Nobody, nobody has any trouble finding that. This show, though, well, one, if this main card stays intact, oh god, that's a miracle, because I'm convinced that Lawler versus Cerrone just isn't supposed to happen. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Oh god, don't do it. All right, don't kill the karma for this one. We finally potentially have it here. But we Please. have a few. We have a few fights before that to talk about. Why yeah. is Josh Berkman getting another fight? Well, we talked about this after his last fight. He should have, he should, we were pretty adamant after that last fight. He should be hanging up his gloves. But, but even, even done. that, why are they giving him another fight? He's one in six in the UFC. Yeah, he's just, I mean, fulfill your contract if you have to, but no. I mean, in my opinion, Josh Berkman, unfortunately, his body cannot handle it anymore. You know, his brain, his, 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 his head can't take those punches anymore. He gets, I mean, Jude Dober. It's going to put a hurting on this guy. 
You know, like with all due respect, I know Drew Dober is, is, it hasn't lived up to the full potential. The dude's a minus 350 favorite for a reason. And he's going to hurt Josh Berkman. And Josh Berkman doesn't deserve to get hurt. He's put in his time. He's got to hang up the gloves, man. Got to make better financial decisions. Shouldn't have to fight. Yeah, uh, he's 1-6 in the UFC now. He's lost three in a row twice in the UFC if you include the the uh, Lombard loss, which, you know, he Lombard was on roids. So, <laughs> there you go. Yep. Also on this show, uh, Aljamain Sterling versus Hennon Barout, 140 pounds. I want to know what your feelings are about the California Commission stepping in and saying, Barrow, you're not even trying to make 135. Yeah, well, based on the fact that they had Barrow versus TJ Dillashaw in a main event on their home turf in Sacramento for Hennon Barrow to pass out, not make weight, bang his head on a bathtub, causing the main event to be scratched, uh, you know, putting putting TJ Dillashaw, uh, who did TJ fight that night? Um, Soto. Soto. D- that was tough to digest for, for Andy Foster and the commission, even the UFC. I mean, I remember being there for that one. That was the actual, actually, no, that was the, um, th- that was an event that I covered for, for, for Sportsnet at the time, and it was... We were getting texted by the PR staff, get to the arena, get to the arena, things have changed, blah, blah, blah. here's what happened, you can interview Soto, uh, Dillashaw won't be available, blah, 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 and it was one of those situations where it was like, oh my goodness, so the commission, in my opinion, is like, look, you've already been here, you can't make 135, I don't care if you did it outside of here, and you're, it's not healthy for you to make 135, we're stepping in, and you're fighting at 140, done, good for the commission, I agree. I have a yeah, I, I agree as well. I don't think Barrow should even be, be trying to make 135 anymore. I have a lot of questions about Barrow because, mm-hmm. especially since 2014, because I want to take a look back at some of these fights. Felipe Nover, well, he didn't end up being the next Anderson Silva. We can say that. <laughs> Jeremy Stevens beat Henan Barrow. Okay, we have established Jeremy Stevens is not a top 10, probably not a top 15 featherweight. Mm-hmm. TJ Dillashaw beat the brakes off of him twice. We, twice. Like, okay, that'll happen. Burrell's win in between there was Mitch Gagnon. He was supposed to beat Mitch Gagnon much easier than he actually did. Like, and just, just I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Um, you notice Gagnon was away from the octagon for a better part of a year and a half, two years after that fight? Uh-huh. He allegedly tore his ACL in the first round. So, I mean, there, there you go there. And how long did he hang on after that? I didn't think it would last midway through the, the – or almost to the end of the Three. third round. Yeah. Before that, Uriah Faber, and we all know how that fight ended. Like, was Burrell going to win that fight? Very likely. But he pulled the wool over Herb Dean's eyes in that fight because – if you're Uriah Faber and you have a knee or an ankle and you're holding on to that, there's there's no guarantee that you won't end up on your back. It's, there's just not. Before that, his win was over Eddie Wineland. Okay. Fine. Okay. Not, not, Sick win. It was a good win. It was a good win. Michael McDonald, while, while a phenom has, at the time, his ability to stay in the cage has been questionable, but I think that was a very good win, actually. Uh, and before that, you know, he had fought 30 times. Hennon Burrell, who is now 30 years old. That, that starts to build up and build up and build up. I wonder if Hennon Burrell, like, like all these things that, that, that are going to play into a factor, because I see Aljamain Sterling as a very raw guy even today. 
Like he relies sure. on his his athleticism. He relies on his abil- like his just natural ability more than he does his technical ability, and that could cost him a fight against Hennen Barrow because Hennen Barrow is very crafty after 35, 40 fights. Uh, how do you think this one goes? Yeah, 40 fights for Barrow. Yeah, so, I mean, the MMA mileage on Barrow is there, especially when you're training at Novignao. Uh, those dudes are no joke when they train. Uh, they, they beat the crap out of each other. I don't know if Day-Day has, has kind of slowed things down there, but um, I, I, Barrow is one of those fighters, and you and I often talk about, not every card, but on it seems like every other card. There's a fighter on these cards where you just you don't know. You know, Patrick Cummins was one on the last card. You just don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And Barrow, to me, is that fighter that is a former champion that could all of a sudden, things could start clicking again, and he can go on an incredible run um, in the division to potentially become the champion. Or is he done? Is he, is he officially now a middle-tier fighter, uh, a gatekeeper, per se, in the Bantamweight division, where guys like Aljamain Sterling need to prove themselves versus this set and said gatekeeper to take on the upper echelon of the division. I don't know what to think of Barrow anymore. In my opinion, the, the old Barrow shouldn't even be in the same cage as Aljamain Sterling because Barrow would destroy him. But now I look at this fight and I'm like, this is a, this is somewhat of a fair fight. I mean, this thing, in my opinion, could go either way. I mean, and and the fact that Barrow is the underdog and Sterling is a minus one thirty five favorite that says a lot. That says a lot about yes. what the public and the odds makers think of the former champion of the world. I would agree. And this is a very interesting fight to me. Another interesting fight to me, Ricardo Lamas, Jason Knight, because Jason Knight is, he makes everything a fight. He makes everything fun, too. Ricardo Lamas is a guy who's had trouble piecing together uh, a win streak over the last several years since that Aldo fight. Anything more than, than two fights doesn't seem to happen for him. But he's faced guys that are dangerous no matter what, like Oliveira, Holloway, Diego Sanchez, Chad Mendez, Dennis Bermudez. Even going back before that, he was fight, fighting Eric Koch and Hatsu Hiyoki yep. and Cub Swanson, like guys who he doesn't take any days off. So that's going to be a fight to watch for. Hard to break down technically any Jason Knight fight because you never know what he's going to bring. But up next is Manoa Ozdemir. Now, Ozdemir's another guy that's kind of hard to break down because we don't really know what all he has to offer, Joe. Yeah, well, he, you know he can go a good three rounds because he did it with uh, OSP. Uh, and he's got power that, that maybe perhaps we don't appreciate because of what he did to Misha Serkinov. People think it was almost like a phantom punch. It was a punch that didn't even look like it was a hard punch that landed. Didn't even look like it was thrown very hard. But he does have that power. This is a guy that was con- supposed to compete for Titan FC uh, at heavyweight. He was supposed to fight for our, our, our 206-pound above title, 207-pound heavyweight title. He didn't do it because the UFC had called him. Actually, he, had fought, he was supposed to fight, um, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Chase Sherman was, was supposed to be one of his opponents. Um, but that he never ended fun. up fighting. Yeah, he never ended up fighting. And then when he got the call on short notice to make 205 pounds versus OSP, he gladly accepted. Um, he got released at the weigh-ins en route to the boat where the, the, the massive yacht, she's a 10, that they were going to have the weigh-ins on. En route is when Lex McMahon got the call. Uh, and he told Vulcan, you know, not that you have to make weight, but you're not fighting on Saturday because in 10 days you're fighting OSP uh, if you want it. And yeah, of course I do. And he signed it. So we got to see Vulcan compete against OSP, shocked the world in that one. And then the UFC gives him Misha Serkinov after Serkinov had those negotiation issues. 
And he just goes through Misha Serkinov like he's butter. Now he gets Jimmy Manawa. His third fight is, in essence, the interim title fight for the light heavyweight division. It's a safe fight for the UFC to make, and they made it in case something happens to Cormier or Jones. Ozdemir isn't a guy who is likely to try to take down Manawa, and they like that. He doesn't have any takedowns in either of his two UFC fights. And he has one submission win to his credit, and that was his third fight ever. And it was probably just a guy. I didn't get to see the fight, but I would imagine it's just a guy whose skill level was outmatched. Manawa wins, might get that title shot, and he poses a dangerous threat to anybody if he connects. But from what we've seen from Ozdemir... He also poses a dangerous threat to anybody if he connects. And not even with a clean shot, like, clipping you could be the end. Because doing that to Misha Serkinov is certainly impressive. I like it. It's, it's, it's a fantastic fight. And, but unfortunately for the winner of this fight, it's, it may be irrelevant based on what happens in the main event. And we'll talk about the main event, um, you know. In a moment, but you look at the, 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 I mean, this card is ridiculous, and we can move on to the fight that yes. has all of us scared because we just want it to happen. Robbie Lawler, Donald Cerrone. There's Robbie no promotion Lawler. for it, Joe. There's none. It's like scary. I don't, I don't know if they're on Embedded. I don't, I didn't see a UFC countdown on it. There was no Inside the Octagon. There was nothing like that. They weren't on the pressers. Like they weren't on yeah. anything. So that that's scary. It poses some concern to me, but. This is another one of those fights that's hard to break it down. Both men have been proven susceptible to, to their bodies before. Uh, and both men, like Robbie Lawler, can go to the body with his hands. Uh, Donald Cerrone goes to the body with his feet and does it very well. Yeah. So, man, Is this, this a is... case of speed, Donald Cerrone, speed and footwork versus Robbie Lawler, bite down the mouthpiece and come here for a second so I can punch you in your face? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Now, this oh. is not Donald Cerrone in his early 20s or mid-20s. He's 34 now. Right? And this so. this this will be his fourth fight in a calendar year in, in, in about 11 months. So he stayed on pace even though he hasn't fought in six months, which is crazy that he was able to stay on pace. But the reason he's been out for six months, I would think, is because of that pace. Because in December he fought and beat Matt Brown – in January, he fought and lost to Masvidal. Yep. So, yeah, and then, I mean, even last year, he fought in June, then two months later was fighting Rick Story and beating beating up Rick Story, but... Greatest four-punch combination or, or four-strike combination ever. I, I loved the, the Snoop Dogg reference, the <laughs> three-piece dinner. <laughs> oh, I missed that. Was that on Contender Series? Yeah, he uh, Snoop Dogg is great. He is great. Also, apparently, invited new UFC signee Sean O'Malley to his trailer where they immediately smoked a joint. Which is phenomenal. Uh, But Cerrone Lawler is going to be a good fight, especially in that division, which has kind of come to a standstill. And this is a big fight in that division because uh, is Steven Thompson going to get another title shot? I doubt it. Like... uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, Masvidal just lost to Maya. Condit, is he going to fight again? Magny just got cleared uh, to fight again, but he lost to Lorenz Larkin last year. He's coming off of a win. He could be up there, but I don't see the UFC like chomping at the bit to give him a title shot. 
So the winner of this, it's not unlikely that they could, I mean, I don't think that they would hate the idea of putting Lawler and Woodley back in the cage together. But I know they certainly wouldn't hate the idea of putting Cerrone in the cage with a Tyron Woodley. Yeah. And they're on the same yeah. schedule now. True. But they'll be much happier with George St. Pierre getting in there. Who knows that George St. Pierre is going to get in there? No, you're right. I don't. You're right. You're right. I don't even think he – I don't think Faraz wants him in there. Not versus Tyron or Damien. Um, I'd, I'd love to see Damien versus GSP. That That's the type of stylistic matchup I can get behind. But uh, let's, uh, since we're on the subject of welterweight, let's go ahead and talk about him. Uh, Tyron Woodley, Damian Maya. What people are going to notice first off is the size difference because you don't think of Damian Maya as being so much bigger than everybody, but he's a lot bigger than Tyron Woodley. But Woodley's used to dealing with bigger opponents. Uh, one of the things I love about Tyron Woodley is he uses like a like a two one two and then follows it up, and he uses that to create space for his opponents. But his leg kicks are also something special because. I don't know if he necessarily does it to chop people down as much as he does to just... It's almost more of a takedown, like a sweep, because he sweeps his whole yeah. body across and it shifts people off, you know... And I'm sure Maya, if he gets caught with one of those, he'll be like, Oh, you got me, guy! You better come down here to the ground and follow up. I'm mm-hmm. sure he'll be like one of those, you know... Jump in the guard or whatever, or go to flop to his back. No, I hear you. I hear you. I, 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 when... when, when Tyron throws those kicks. Just ask Carlos Condit what they feel like. I mean, they don't feel pretty at all. Um, he's got tree trunks for legs. Um, he's an absolute monster, to say the least. But it is, it, you talk about a style versus style matchup. This is it. Damian Maya has no business standing and trading with Tyron Woodley. I mean, the odds of him getting a knockout versus Tyron Woodley are astronomical. Yeah. He needs to backpack this situation. I mean, the safest place, you ask any jiu-jitsu fighter, the safest place to be with a striker is on his back. Whether you're standing or on the ground, on his back, he can't hurt you. He can punch you, but he can't hurt you. Yes, and uh, the thing is, we don't know if Tyron Woodley has any business going to the ground with Damian Maia, and that's a question that's going to be answered. Now, Woodley's takedowns are really at their best when he's able to connect his hands, clasp a wrist, clasp clasp his hands together. And what he does that I think is very impressive is that he, when he does that, he pulls his opponents in close to him and drives his body weight onto them. Like midair, he'll do that. And what that does is it, is it adds impact, it looks really pretty, and it puts him in a favorable position, which is crucial if you are, if you are even thinking about taking Maya to the ground. We're going to see something tested, Joe. Maya goes after takedowns really, really relentlessly. And when somebody tries to take down Tyron Woodley, what I've noticed is he'll reverse the tide, put them up against the cage, and then he'll kind of take a breather. Damian Maya's not going to give you a breather. No, no. He's going to latch on to you. He's going to latch on to you. He's going to immediately push for another takedown. Another thing that Maya does when he's relentless with those takedowns, if somebody sprawls out, he likes to shoot for takedowns and low, low stuff, especially singles, towards the outside of the cage, but not where to put them against the cage because he almost does like a two-for-one. So when somebody sprawls their body weight out, 
Maya gets underneath them like this and kind of pushes them up against the cage. He reaches down and on his on his way up when he like sets the person up, he grabs that single and drags them down. And he's so good at that. And it's like a two for one. He's like, if I don't get this one from the from an outside from a low, uh, I'll, I'll do it by pushing them up against the cage and grabbing that low single. And that's really what he likes. And Joe, you know as well as anybody, like that was a, the first thing I learned in MMA was. You don't leave your head on the outside of a low single. <laughs> but Damian yeah. Maya doesn't give a shit. Doesn't. He doesn't Does. care. He because doesn't he's care. Chain, he's doing a chain takedown, right? Like you said, he's chaining everything together. Because if I do this, there's a good, there's an eighty percent chance my opponent will do this. And if I don't score it here, here's my other two options. I'm going to go here, and if he moves here, I'm going to be here. Before you know it, he's got one hook in. Yeah. Right. He'll drag you down. It may not look pretty. It may not be Josh Kostrick in his prime where he would just penetrate double leg and just carry someone to the other side of the octagon. Damian Maia gives a rat's ass about looking pretty. Damian Maia gives a rat's ass about getting that fight to the mat and letting me do my thing. And for anyone, any jujitsu guys out there can probably understand this. Anybody that knows grappling in general, if you watch Damian Maia's arsenal on the ground, it is like blue belt. Whatever basics that you learned as a blue belt, that's what he still does to this day. He'll whoop your ass with a gi and he can do whatever he wants with a no gi if he has to get overly technical. But for MMA purposes, it is blue belt stuff. This guy, oh, got his back. Here's a seatbelt. Oh, you're going to put your head here? Oh, I got one. Oh, you're going to defend? I've got the other. Oh, you want to keep defending? Oh, how are you? Yeah. Not only that, he's added to his repertoire on the ground, too, like with the elbows that we saw against Gunnar Nelson. Somebody says, the first thing I learned was to not attack your opponent with your feet so close together like CM Punk. Yeah, that's true. That, is the, that. that is the first <laughs> thing that I learned because you don't cross your feet and you don't, you don't do that because you'll get, you'll, you'll get put on your ass. But the first thing I learned when I tried to do something to somebody was that uh, Maya is the best off of somebody's back. There's never been anybody better than him never ever ever in mma have i seen somebody better than that and i'll say this every single breakdown we do i consider him like a knuckleballer because the way he fights he'll probably be able to fight until he's 45 and beat people that are are solid i mean even if he's not competing at the highest levels joe he's gonna go in there and at 43 44 he'll still be able to beat some of these top 15 guys because he's so good at what he does. And I think that's pretty damn cool. Because you don't see a lot of guys who are that one-dimensional anymore. We saw it with Ronda Rousey, how good she was. Now, now, granted, with that one dimension, she also had some outstanding power because of all that core strength that she had from those years of judo. And she was sleeping some girls. But Damian Maya, and, and he did work on his kickboxing a lot after the Anderson Silva fight, but... It's it's a pretty cool story. Thirty nine years old, and he's here competing for a UFC title in his second different weight division. It's badass. Pretty cool. It's badass. I'm very happy for him. Um, he's just always been a solid dude. I'm looking forward to him. His fellow countrywoman, mm-hmm. Chris Cyborg, is taking on Tanya Evinger. Um, the biggest on this card is obviously Christian Cyborg Santos. Uh, she is an absolutely whopping minus 1300 straight up. If there's ever a fight you want to stay away from from betting, this is probably it. 
I'd take it. Unless I'd take. I'd put a little money on it just in case. Just in case. Crazy. Because oh, and you're this is not going to get much in return. But this isn't saying a lot, Joe. But no, no, no. I'm, I'm betting on Avenger in case. Gotcha. I, I don't gotcha. think she's going to win. Gotcha. You could argue that outside of uh, Marlos Kunin, this is the toughest fight that she has ever had in her career. You could really argue that. Maybe Shayna Baszler early on up there. Those, uh, those two Kunin fights were good for, for Cyborg because yes. Kunin pushed that pace. Yeah. Yes. Beat the crap out of her after, but yeah, gotcha. Daria, she's good. I mean, I don't want to say she's good. She's okay. She's okay. But um, – I think this is the biggest challenge besides Marlos Kunin that Cyborg will face, and Cyborg should win this. Tanya Evinger is a true gangster of not giving a shit. Now, her, her record is a little misleading because you see that like she doesn't have a loss since 2011. She did lose to Raquel Pennington to get inside the tough house. That has me concerned because Raquel Pennington is a small 135, yep. a very small 135. She'll probably fight at 125, I'd imagine. But... Avenger has a really nice balanced attack. She has a good short left hook and some underrated wrestling. She is especially good at up against the cage where Cyborg likes to fight at gaining risk control and using her opponent's momentum to drag them down. Cyborg, on the other hand, what is really like I've loved about her game is that she has adjusted it for the UFC. And I think she adjusted it in preparation, almost like Holly Holm did all that preparation her whole career to fight Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey. I think Cyborg had been training to prepare for Ronda Rousey, so she was like, you know, maybe fighting in the pocket up against the cage isn't my best idea. Maybe I should sit on the outside and keep them at the end of my punches where they're just as strong often with Cyborg. But she's really good in the middle of the cage at getting in the pocket, attack, Attacking, making people panic, then slipping punches, getting on the outside of that center line, then landing again. And she has some really good accuracy as well. I love how Cyborg adapted her fighting style for the UFC because years ago when that fight was being talked about, I had always said, I don't think it's as clear cut as just Cyborg punches her and it's over because... Ronda Rousey inside the clinch is is very dangerous, and Cyborg loved to fight in that range, and that's not that wouldn't have been good. Since then, I mean, she she's done it, she's fought there, but she's gotten really good at playing to her strengths, which are very are abundant. She has plenty of strengths, so Cyborg should win this. But I'm not I'm not like writing Evinger off by any means. If if Tanya Evinger won this fight. It would be a surprise, but I wouldn't be like, man, that's the craziest thing that ever happened. I wouldn't think that at all. No, I don't think it would be the craziest thing that ever happened. I think, I mean, Cyborg should win this fight hands down. Uh, you know, we've been around MMA long enough to realize nothing is really surprising anymore. There are no guarantees. Crazy upsets happen all the time. Uh, if it was to happen, I'd be raising my eyebrows on Saturday. That's for sure. I'd be like, whoa, okay, what the heck just went wrong here? Uh, but we've seen it before. One incorrect step to your left or to your right mm -hmm. or straight ahead or not putting your hand where it needs to be and that punch comes, everything changes. Everything changes. And despite the fact that Christian can, can absolutely annihilate Tanya on the stand-up, Tanya needs to land one punch to change this fight uh, into her favor. So uh, it remains to be seen what will happen. We always let these you know, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen compete uh, in the cage or in the ring. Let them settle it. Let life settle it. Let the fight settled it, not what we say takes place on paper. We break it down for a reason, but we take it from there. We got our main event. Yeah. Daniel Cormier, 
John Jones. Now, we can look at it in a variety of different ways because you can take a variety of angles when you look at this fight, in my opinion. Daniel Cormier, should he emerge victorious, has two options. Retire, because it is the final... Hold on. It is the final thing he has ever wanted in this career, is to defeat John Jones. Option number two, rematch. If rematch. he defeats John Jones, it's the rematch because he's going to make seven figures off that rematch. Easier now, said than done. Am I ready for him to be in the booth full time? You damn right I am. I oh, am yeah. a big fan of him in the booth. I'm a big fan of Cruz in the booth, who's going to be there this uh, Saturday. Uh, by the way, guys, we're doing a post show. I will be flying back Saturday from Toronto, and we'll do a post show. This fight's hard to break down because of several factors. Jones has fought once in two and a half years. Jones, some say he didn't look good against OSP. He has said that OSP is hard to predict because OSP is very raw still and doesn't know what he's going to do next. There are others that say that maybe Jones was holding back because he knew that DC was in the booth and didn't want to show him how his game had evolved in that year that he missed. Now, Jones has been very good. How much footage you see of Jones training in the last two years? Not much, just lots of jiu-jitsu. Lots of jiu-jitsu, lots of weightlifting, that's it. The only thing we really know is that Mike Winklejohn is saying that he's found new ways to throw elbows. That's terrifying, like he needed more. Uh, we know that he has apparently fallen in love with jiu-jitsu, got his blue belt in jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I saw that. A blue belt in jiu-jitsu. What Good a John. farce. Just go ahead and give him wherever he belongs, guys. Uh Michelle Watterson and Holly Holm had their belts before him, by the way. Yeah. How much will rust and emotion play into this? Massive. Massive. Now, here's the thing. How much will rust and emotion play in for either guy? Who knows? Well, DC didn't compete since April. Buffalo, right? And, and, And how would that have went down if Rumble Johnson had his heart in that fight? We don't know. Yeah, you're bang on. You're you're absolutely correct. Rumble Johnson concerned. took him down. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm heading into this fight here with John Jones as a minus two fifty five favorite. I'm going to lean towards John Jones. Uh, the good guy in me wants Daniel Cormier to win because I love it when someone can solidify and or balance out their life and career and get what they've really, really, really worked so hard and wanted so bad. Uh, for Daniel Cormier, it's that victory just to defeat John Jones, and I, I'm happy if he does it. But we're on the precipice here on Tuesday, 4.24 p.m. Eastern Time from the D.C. era ending on Saturday night and the reemergence of the John Jones light heavyweight championship reign commencing again, minus any sort of crazy, stupid things he does outside the octagon. But we we could be on the on the either the the, the page flip or we're going back or whatever you want to call it. But John Jones, in my opinion, wins this fight. Uh, as much as as Frank Trigg and I discussed that John Jones is not um, handling this very handling this whole situation very well, and that DC is in John Jones's head. John Jones is in DC's head. Don't don't ever kid yourself. I spoke to DC in Buffalo when he fought and Anthony Rumble Johnson off record or not off the record with the cameras off and just talking about John in general and me. And if you watch that post fight press conference, you will see it. You will absolutely see not the venom, 
ladies and gentlemen, but the just the desire, the angst, the the please give me John Jones one more time. I can do it. I know I can do it. I need this for me. I don't need it for my family. I need this for me. I need this for my soul. I need to forget the belt because DC would fight John Jones without the belt. He just needs that win. He wants this way more than John Jones wants this. It, so it'll be interesting to see. It's it a heart versus him. heart. Yeah. This is the fight that will define Daniel Cormier's career. This fight on Saturday night means way more to DC than it does to John Jones. For John Jones, it's a chance to get back to what to to, to get that gold back, uh, to go back slowly but surely to the life that he used to live with the big house and the nice cars and blah blah, uh, and not embarrassing himself and his family and, and going down jackass highway. Uh, to to just changing things to losing everything, you know. John Jones has a lot of work to do um, to prove to the sponsors of the world that hey, you know what, you can get behind me now. I'm actually a good dude. But then he comes out and he says crazy things like you know, it doesn't matter if the fans like you or not, they're gonna watch no matter what. I don't buy DC saying his wrestling is better than it's ever been before. I think it's been declining over several years because. Frank Mir and Roy Nelson, some really good jiu-jitsu practitioners didn't take him down. Josh Barnett, one of the greatest catch wrestlers in America, who later tapped out Dean Lister, didn't take him down. But every fight that he has had outside of Anderson Silva, uh, Jones took him down. Rumble took him down. Gustafson took him down. Then Johnson took him down again. And it didn't look that hard for Johnson to take him down. An unmotivated Johnson. That that plays into a lot of things. How will John Jones's physique play into this? Uh, will Daniel Cormier make weight? That's a question. Like there are a lot of different things. Like who knows what's going to go on? I think they'll be paying super close attention to where Daniel's hands are. That towel comes out. So yeah, he'll he'll, he'll make weight. I think he's focused enough. He'll make weight. Uh, I I did watch embedded. And it doesn't look like Daniel Cormier is going to make weight easily, yeah. but he, he he should make weight. This is the biggest fight of his life. You said it best. This is what's going to define him. If and I'm, I if, the, you know how I am with these. If I'm him, I don't retire after this. I take a heavyweight fight if you lose because your boy Kane doesn't have the title anymore. And if he wanted to very valid off of a loss – Joe, they would give him a heavyweight title shot against Miocic. Only for John Jones to then enter that division. <laughs> he wants to fight Lesnar. Right? So He'd find uh, he'd find a way he would take Lesnar down. He'd find a way. Yeah. I, I listen, Saturday night is going to be fantastic. I was thinking you weren't happy with this card and you didn't want to do a podcast and these poor <laughs> fans and all the guys and girls in our live chat would have nothing to do on Saturday night. But I'm glad you've you've turned that leaf, Sean Ross App, and oh, said, yeah. you know what? We are going to do this podcast because you're coming to my country, coming to my city. I'll be there at nine AM tomorrow. We're going to get our asses whooped at the Rogers Center watching the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and hopefully Jimmy Van isn't silly enough to provide us with uh, intoxicating beverages. Hey, I know I don't you don't drink. drink. I don't drink alcohol. That's the problem. I'm That's my point, Sean. Because when it's ordered and you don't drink, it is mandatory as a Canadian <laughs> to drink it. And I'm driving down there. So I'm going to have I might be staying with you and the missus in your hotel room if I can't drive home. You know that, right? Not not at the not at the place we're staying. You know where we're my staying. My wife would whoop my ass. We're staying if at I the Shangri La. 
Nice. I stayed there. It's a very nice place. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, to, tomorrow after after I eat with Jimmy and we do the Listen Your Boy live, I'm going to meet up with James Lynch and Adam Martin and Sean Smith. Some We're, we're going to edge you out of there because we are going to be the four horsemen of Canadian MMA journalism. You're not allowed. Get her done. Get, Get her, her done. done. Get her done. Hot damn. And then um, Jay's game Thursday. I don't know what I'm doing Thursday evening, Friday. We're kind of going to play that by ear. And then I don't leave until Saturday afternoon. I figured Jimmy would get me like a 6 a.m. flight. No, like 2 in the afternoon. So I'm going to be uh, trucking it down that highway, getting back to Ewing, Kentucky, to cover this UFC show. So very, Kyler very Kyler James says uh, Joe Sean is deceptively tall. Uh Kyler, when, when when Sean and I first discussed meeting, he informed me that my stature of being a five foot seven Canadian will be uh, he might just step on my head when he sees me uh, up Thursday. I'm like I'm six feet tall, maybe a little bit more. Maybe. I don't know. That's why I love podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. I'm looking at Sean Rossap in the eyes because come Thursday, it'll be, hey, buddy, what's going on? How you been? Well, when Matt Riddle met me, he said that I was a lot taller than he thought, but like smaller in stature. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm not like 240 pounds, like I'm 185, something like that. So, I mean, well, I'm not like a giant dude or anything. I'm just, I guess I'm tall by podcaster standards, maybe. Well, God rest his soul, Tim Haig, uh, who recently passed away. Uh, I told you the story. When he first met me, he put his arm around me with his wife snapping pictures. He's like, showdown, you're just a little guy. And I was like, oh, gosh. Cool. That's not embarrassing. Thanks, bud. Keep it locked to uh, our Instagrams and the Fightful Instagram and Fightful Twitters, and we're going to have several several, uh, photos up in there. Infinity says, Riddle was probably stoned. Hey, dumbass. Riddle was in the middle, like in the middle of a wrestling show. He wasn't stoned. <laughs> like, what does me being a six foot tall person have to do with Matt Riddle smoking weed? I don't get it. Infinity, you're about to be blocked again. No, don't do it. Not really. Not really. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, tomorrow I will be in Canada. I think I'm gonna. I was gonna do like daily video blogs, but I was like, man, that's gonna take up so much time. So I may do might do a collective one, um, and release it later. But we have exclusives coming up from uh, several wrestlers, uh, War Machine from Jason Kincaid. He does some great writing, uh, boxing stuff from Carlos, and of course the boxing newsletter on Thursday, and great stuff. From Brandon Howard, who does some remarkable analysis over at Fightful.com. So go check that out, guys. But Joe, anything else before we go? Yeah, tomorrow I'll, I'll put together a piece for FightfulMMA.com. Uh, uh, we will take a look at a variety of different things. Uh, I'd like to get people's thoughts on, on the video that I did on Thursday mm-hmm. uh, where I got some questions from social media that I addressed. I may do that again, and i got to get that done super early because Jimmy Van has already mandated what time I have to be at the Rogers Center for the game because it's hey, an afternoon game. What time so, do we have to be there? Uh, he told me, I believe it's 11 a.m., uh, at the gate, so uh, it's not good. Damn. Yeah, so I've got to get that us, video done. He's serving us breakfast? I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it. I don't, I don't see it here, but uh, where, oh, there you are, Jimmy. Uh, 11 a.m., son? I haven't been given any type of itinerary or anything. I just know i got to be at the the office, which I don't know where the office is. I haven't been given an address at 1. 
Young and Eglinton. Yep, yep. Nice little place to go out there. A good part of Toronto. I can tell you that right now. That's a solid place in Toronto. It's not downtown. It's midtown, but great office to have there, Jimmy Van. Uh, but yeah, video on uh, on Thursday. Fun bets on Friday, uh, and then of course we will do a post show on Saturday night after UFC 214 to discuss uh, what is go- what is going to happen next with Daniel Cormier. Will John Jones put that strap around his waist? When that screen goes black on the UFC pay per view, we go live, my friends. So tune in. Until next time, so guys. Until next time, guys, I'll see you all in Toronto. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.